get there and we see him the prince of life god bless you good to be in the house of the lord amen Amen. well what else are we going to do on a night like tonight and except something that will have eternal value and i believe it will do that why don't you have your seats for a moment and i will still sing a song brother ray so just amen i'm thankful for the opportunity to gather together on wednesday We had mentioned the government was going to be making some changes, and I'm thankful for the changes that that allowed us to still operate at one-third capacity, so we're abiding by that, we're abiding by social distancing, we're abiding by being able to have a mask and protect each other, and and I'm just thankful that the grace of God has allowed us to continue to serve God and serve His purpose. So we're so grateful for that. So let's continue to be diligent. Let's, let's do our part for the community. Let's do our part to always allow the Holy Spirit to also move in our midst. I want to welcome the visitors. We've got people from some different places. We're thankful to be able to be gathered together to worship the Lord, to honor Him and allow Him to have His way in our lives. The, 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 the Bible says the bride has made herself ready. He has provided the garment, but we've got to clothe ourselves with that garment. So there's something for us to do. And and we certainly live in a time of great uncertainty. And uh, in the world and the nations, there's perplexity, there's distresses, there's angst, there's anxieties everywhere, but we have something certain. And I'm so grateful. Where would we be if we did not have the anchor of what God has deposited in our hearts? So we are, we're looking, I, I was looking at some quotes that would be relative to the coming of the Lord. And, you know, Brother Branham would say, you know, you know when you see all these co- things come to pass, lift up your head, look up, your redemption draws nigh. But, you know, even, even within the message and the quotes that we have and, and the different things that we have available to us. And, and I looked at some of the times Brother Branham would talk about it. And in, in one of them in particular, and I want to just read this. This is in What House Will You Build Me? Near the end of his time on earth. And he would say, keep the message honorable. Live the right kind of life. Don't let no smut come on it. So This is a theme common that I found in a number of quotes, but he says, the hour is late, let's live clean. Because it's our lives that are speaking for us, more than our words or our profession. He says, my life, your life, all of our lives need to be picked up before God. That's the standard that's being raised. So that's why we're here. 
we're here that God can raise that standard in our lives, and we want to draw on that. So this weekend, we've set aside the weekend to just do that, to allow God to um, lift that standard in our lives so that we can live better, we can be more honorable, that we can allow the token life to be upon us. We're happy to have our brother Paul Dirksen. is a pastor uh, in Weldon, Saskatchewan. I've appreciated, Brother Paul, the times that we've connected. We've had fellowship. I will say I've always come away from our fellowship edified, picked up, and encouraged. And I pray the same happens from the ministry and the fellowship we have this weekend. So over the last year and I, Brother Paul and I have discussed a time where we could have a weekend to gather together, and in particular to uh, expound on families, marriages, relationships, Brother Paul has put together a book, and it's, it's quite good. It's, I, I would advocate it, but it's on marriage and courtship, and it has to do with, it's a compilation of quotes, and, and it's been very well structured and very well put together. We've made this available on, from time to time to couples that are getting um, together or looking to marriage. We've made it available to young people who have expressed a desire for courtship and some standards, and Brother Paul's brought a number of these with him this weekend. So you'll find as you go out today, there are some of these. So on behalf of Brother Harold and I, we're making this available, one per family. Or if you're a young person and you have a particular interest and you really want to seek God, we're also making it available to you in that manner. But I, I believe you'll find it of benefit. Uh, I would say it's well put together. So uh, as you go, and that'll be available tonight, tomorrow at both services, Brother Paul's brought these. So we're, we're thankful for that. We, we are looking to, and I, I want to say the services this weekend are not, I want to come with a certain mindset. Whether you're married or you're unmarried, or you're in a fragmented uh, marriage, or whatever state you're in, this isn't just to one class of people, it's to everyone. Marriage in the natural is a type of the spiritual. So take the spiritual type if you have to. But I believe there's something every time we gather together in God's word that we can, we can garner from. And whether you're married one year, five years, 35 years or more, I want you just to come with a mindset, Lord, this is for me. There is something I can learn. There is something I can do better. I'm, I'm looking at it that way, for our home, for our lives, and I, I want to do it. In, I believe in perfect faith, Brother Bannon would say, you know, as, as things come, it means a lot of shaving down for me and for you, but together we'll make it by the grace of God. So let's take the mindset, I, I want to hear it, and I want to work with it, and I want to not just hear it, but embrace it and employ it and make it a part of my life. And let it be. So I, I'd like us to come with that attitude today. Um, and I'm not going to say much more. I, I just want to also say I appreciate Brother Paul and the gift that's in his life. And I believe will be benefited. And uh, I, I believe he, he is a, a gift that can teach these things. But before you teach these things, you've got to be a student of these things. And I find Brother Paul is a student of the word, uh, of the message. And I would just say he loves the message. He loves this truth, and it is, it is of a high estimation in his life. And 
I, I, with that, I would say I, I'm, 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 I'm sure we'll be blessed. So let's stand together. We want to welcome our brother to the pulpit. We want him to feel at home. And I, I would say more than just making him feel at home, there's an unseen person in this room. And I say let's make him at home. Don't spend the service trying to figure out Brother Paul and where he's at. Let's pull on the word. Welcome and receive the word. And I'll say the rest will take care of itself. So let's, let's do that. And, and that would mean a little participation, sometimes a smile. You know, raise your hand, an amen. An ouch is okay too if, you, if, you, if it hits you that way. But let's just enjoy our time in the presence of the Lord. There's a table that's been spread. And I think we can feed off of it. How many want to dine tonight? Well, let's, let's sing that. Come and dine. Jesus has a table spread. Jesus has a table spread Where the saints of God are fed He invites His chosen people Come and dine With His manna He feed And supplies our every need Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus All the time Oh, come and dine let us go hungry. His garners are full like that little mouse brother Ram says, oh I better be careful, I might run out of food. The garners of Egypt were there. We can never exhaust. And you know what's, what's to me is so amazing is you can listen to a tape, you can read a chapter in the Bible and you go back the next day and read it and there's something fresh, there's something new. It's still living. And uh, it's, it's, to me it's so supernatural, it's just a, it's an exciting thing to be a Christian that we can feed on his word. Well, I'll let you be seated. It's good to be here again. I certainly enjoyed the times that I have been through the years, and I've really also enjoyed the fellowship with Brother Ed, and I too always leave our conversation edified, lifted up, and, and that's what it ought to be. That's the body of Christ. We are to exhort one another, and that word exhort means to edify, Amen. encourage, exhort one another daily, and the more so... We assemble ourselves, it's not just the assembling. It's assembling and encouraging one another, and the more so as we see that day approaching. That is this day. That is this day, the end time. 
And so it's more important now. And so what do you think the devil's doing? He's doing everything he can to keep us split apart or separated or, or we can't get together. This COVID, that's part of, I think, Satan's plan, trying to just kind of keep the body of Christ from being able to gather together like they, they, they should. So we've got to do all that we can do. And the Lord, I believe, will honor that. So when Brother Ed asked if I would speak on this subject uh, and, and the book that, that he asked me to bring, um, it was one that, that originally started from uh, a need as a pastor. Brother Branham talks about how that when he was a pastor that he would get the, the young brothers together on a Sunday and then the next Sunday he'd get the young sisters together and he'd talk to them, he says, about sex and things and, and, and you know, courtship and, and marriage type things. And I remember thinking as I was growing up, my, I wish, what did he tell them? What were the things that he taught them? And I thought, and why aren't the pastors doing that today? They should be doing that. And then I became a pastor. Lord, what should I be doing? (laughs) And so I had a friend, Brother David Branham, actually uh, kind of was prodding me from behind and saying, we need this. And and so uh, he was kind of encouraging me to do that. So I put this book of quotes together, really with the motivation of helping the young people with dating and courtship. Because there's, there's an awful lot of pitfalls and troubles that, that, that go with that. And the devil, uh, I think, really, really takes advantage of that uh, relationship and those aspects of, of our humanity. And, and he can get them twisted and perverted and, and out of place where God has them and so forth. So as I sat down to start putting these quotes together, and I just, I, I remember very clearly, I just bowed my head there at my desk, and I prayed, Lord, I says, Lord, I, I need your help with this. And I raised my head, and as clear as I've heard anything from the Lord, he says, it's marriage, courtship, and dating. I said, what? It doesn't work that way. You date first, that might lead to courtship, and then it might lead to marriage. So it should be dating, courtship, and marriage. That's the way I had always thought about it. And it spoke to me again, no, it's marriage, courtship, and dating. I thought, no, why? And as I prayed and thought about it, I realized that you have to have a clear vision of what your goal is. So, Brother Ray, tomorrow morning, we're going to get up and we're going to run 10 miles. And then we're going to lift weights for, for, for two hours. And, we're gonna, and you're going to say, oh, yeah? Why would I want to do that? But if your goal... If my goal was, I want to be an Olympic athlete, we're going to start training for it. I have a goal that I'm striving for. Oh, then I'm willing to do these things because that's what it will take to achieve that goal. And you know, when we approach it so much with the courtship and dating part first, it's like a whole bunch of do's and don'ts, a bunch of statutes and regulations. It becomes legalistic, thou shalt not, thou shalt, to make sure you do this. And it's like, okay, yes, dad, yes, dad. But you know what? If that young person can get a vision, a revelation as to what the goal is, what godly marriage is all about, what God has for us, if that becomes a reality, then all of these things that that lead up to it is, well, of course, yes, and, and, and it's something I'm willing to do that because I know where I'm headed, and this is what it takes to reach that. So... Tonight, I'm not, or this weekend, I'm probably not going to be focusing so much on the young people's part. Because I, w- I want to say this, too, is that, and I've had the privilege of, of speaking on this topic 
literally around the world, um, different places. Um, there was one time I was in St. Petersburg, Russia, and uh, I was staying with the pastor there, and uh, he got up, had to take a phone call, and he came back, and he was, you know, just kind of shaking his head. He was burdened, troubles with a, a family, a couple in his church, and, and uh, I had to talk through a translator because he didn't speak English, and I don't speak Russian, but uh, he expressed, you know, some of the troubles, and I says, I can understand, brother. I says, we, we have the same problems in Canada and America, and I says, you know, and, and, and I took a, a series on this, uh, this very subject to help our young people, and, uh, and, and, and we, we, we spoke them at our camp here a couple years before that, and uh, he says, you're going to speak on them here at our church tomorrow night. Uh, okay. Now, at that time, they only had 400 messages in Russian. What would I feel like as a pastor if I only had 400 of Brother Ram's messages that I could draw from, knowing that there was 800 more? What's on them? That would just drive me to, I need to know, I need to find out. I don't want to miss anything. And this poor brother, he doesn't know as much of what's on the message that I do because I've had the opportunity to be able to read it, understand it, and hear it in English. So, and I'm saying all this for this reason. I got to that, it was a Tuesday night, spur of the moment, middle of the week service. And he had it, it was actually at the, the Voice of God office there in St. Petersburg, the, the, the meeting, because they, they couldn't, the place they had rented for his church there uh, could only do it Sunday morning. It's the only time it was available. So they were doing it in this office, and they had this separate room, and I was in the back room there. And I looked up, and it's five minutes till the meeting. And remember, we're speaking on marriage, courtship, and dating. And I look out, and there's about 12 sisters out there, and they're all at least 75 or 80 years old. I'm thinking, marriage, courtship, and dating. I says, Lord, this is not what I pictured. I don't know where we go with this, but Lord, you have a purpose in this. Well, as the meeting began, come to find out, they were the ones that didn't have a job. They got there early. The others got there late from work. Nobody has cars. They have to walk or take the bus. They finally got there. And so the younger ones, married couples, and young people started coming after that. And it became, okay, this is what I was more anticipating. But I'll never forget that. But here's the thing. As we got into that subject, it turned out that the ones that were probably the most touched by it were those older ones. I did not anticipate that. There was one old sister there. She came to me after, and she was just broken down in tears. And uh, such a sad story. But her, her husband had left her for another woman and uh, hadn't been gone very long. And that woman that he left her for stabbed him to death. And now here she is. Her husband left her and is now dead. And she had harbored bitterness all these years and had no way of reconciling because he was gone. And she had harbored that all these years. It had been like 15 years or longer, 20 years. And that night she got victory because that was part of what we were talking about in the relationship. And I thought, Lord, I didn't, I didn't know what she needed. I had no idea that this would speak to her heart. And so I'm saying this for that reason, and Brother Ed kind of alluded to it, that, 
that it doesn't matter what stage we're at. Every time I go through this, it does something for me because it's the living word of God. And the natural types the spiritual. And I've, 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 I've recognized it this way. The better that I can understand and relate to, the, the greater my revelation is for a physical marriage with my wife and I, it helps me to understand and function better in my relationship with my heavenly bridegroom. And the better I can see and function as my, with, with the Lord in that relationship, it helps me in my physical marriage. They go hand in hand. They work both ways. And you can always learn and, and grow in both of those aspects of our life. So, again, just let the Lord speak to our heart. I don't know what he has in store for us this weekend. We'll just see how he'll lead, and I know that he will. Um, but I wanted to start off, my, probably one of the biggest burdens or purposes that I have um, with this for this weekend is my prayer is that we will see the seriousness and the lateness of the hour. And this subject of, of, of marriage and relationship is crucial here at the end. And, and, and I'm praying that it's, it's like you can see something. If you, if, you, if you close one eye and you can look through a telescope and you can see something, and then you put a, another one, you have binoculars, it comes out in three-dimensional, three, 3D relief, because it takes two eyes to make that. And sometimes you can, you're aware of a quote, you're aware of a scripture, you know this thing, but all of a sudden it just kind of leaps out at you like, wow, I never saw it quite that way. That's my prayer this weekend, that there will be something or some things that will stand out to you that the Lord will reveal to you in a greater depth than you've ever seen it. And I'm asking and wanting and desiring and praying for the same thing for myself. Even though I'm the one that might be uh, chosen to speak I'm still looking for greater and more revelation from God, and he has it for us if we will approach him that correct way. So I wanted to just really emphasize the lateness of the hour, and I wanted to start off with just reading some, some quotes about, remember those seven visions that Brother Brown had back in 1933? And the sixth vision was one where he saw that powerful, that great and powerful, cruel woman that rose up in power in the United States. I wanted to read a few. I read these things to our, our church. But in the faith that was once delivered to the saints, Brother Ram said, I said, just before the end time comes. Now, remember, I still say this. Before the end time comes, there will be a woman that will be a great ruler in this nation. She will either be president or something on that order, some great woman. And he talks a little bit further about the condition. He says, and great persecution will tear down all the differences and run us together as one person. No man will ever be able to do it. That's too big a job for man. That's God himself will do it. And that stirred my heart. Here we are. We see this day, this scripture is being fulfilled. We have a woman that has been elected to great power in the United States. And it's at that time a great persecution is going to raise up. And to me, it's the, the, the purpose or the consequence of that that stir my heart. It's going to run us together. And we look, and there's so many differences out there amongst the bride of Christ. It just, it just grieves your heart to see that. And we have to constantly battle with ourselves not to let our flesh get in there that we're a part of that. We want to have that Christ-like spirit, that real love. 
You can love your enemy even. Love someone that says all manner of evil with you. And as I told the church, and, and even love somebody that disagrees with you. You know, we, we kind of say, oh, love your enemy. Yes, we say, we, 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 those words roll off our tongue pretty easy. But all of a sudden you have somebody that disagrees with you on something and then see what you have to deal with inside. It's a death to self to let the love of Christ really be there. So I'm thankful that here I'm seeing this scripture, this vision coming to pass, and there's a persecution that will come at this time. And I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let this be the time that we are driven together. Whatever it takes, Lord, we want your word to be fulfilled. We want your bride to be brought together and, and, and made ready for your coming. In the message, why are we not a denomination? He says, I said, remember in that day, before the end time comes, before the end time comes, that a woman, now you all keep this wrote down, there'll be a great powerful woman raise up, either be president or dictator or some great powerful woman in this United States. And she'll sink under the influence of women. Now you remember, that's thus saith the Lord. And he says, and what is it given way to? Let me tell you. Be spiritual. Let's open up. Look, why is it doing that? To give the Catholic Church a place to come in. Again, I thought, I've seen these quotes, but this one stood out to me differently than I'd seen before. Now, Brother Bram told us that the Catholic Church would bail out America, didn't he? They have never been in as shaky a financial position as they are now. And Biden's plans are going to take that and, and multiply it. The money that they want to spend. You talk about making a way for the Catholic Church to come in. I believe that that's exactly what's unfolding here. From the message from that time, he says, And remember, thus saith the Lord, there will be a woman rule before the end time. She'll either be president, vice president, or it'll be the Catholic Church as a woman. It'll be one before the end time. That's Thus saith the Lord, write it down and find out, you young people. See if it happens. If it isn't, I'm a false prophet. And you know, my burden again, coming back to the young people. I remember growing up, before we even came to this message, I saw God's power at work. I saw demons cast out of people. I saw them talking through people. I saw them where it took four men to hold them down. I mean, I saw those. I knew that the spirit realm was real. There was no question about that. And then I saw how supernaturally God brought us to this message. And now we've come and we're a couple of generations into it. And I see too many young people, they, they know what's truth. They agree with truth. But maybe they don't have that real burden inside. They don't have that real anchor that needs to be there. And I thought, yes, Lord, I pray that right now, if there's, if there's any young people that were like me that went along coasting along as a preacher's son for years, all of a sudden, God got a hold of me. And my prayer is that God will get a hold of anybody that's not ready because the, the time is coming. The persecution is going to rise. This scripture, this vision is being fulfilled. We've known this for all these years, but here it is. He says, write it down. He says, and you young people, watch this come to pass. We're there. One more. This comes from the church age book, the latest in church age. He says, the Catholic church is on the rise. He went through the five visions. He says, the Catholic church is on the rise. This is the sixth one. We've had one Catholic president and will no doubt have another. So here we have the second Catholic president and a woman vice president. We have both of those coming together in one event. I think God is absolutely making sure that we don't miss this one. 
that we know where we're at, what is about to take place, to make sure. You know, I've, I've, I've thought this and preached it for years, that we, that we don't want to wait. Well, I'm going to wait until we see such and such, and then, I'll, you know, then I'll, I'll quickly get ready because the Lord's coming. The Lord could come in the morning. But I do believe that right now we still have that little window. We've had something here to catch our attention and shake us, and yet that door of mercy is still open. Maybe it's closing in just about the last little bit, but it's still a day of mercy. Let's not miss it. If, you're, if, if you or I are not where we need to be with the Lord, don't put it off. And that's my desire this weekend is that as we look at this subject of marriage, because the marriage and the relationship is both, as, as Brother Ed said, it's a natural thing between a man and a woman, but it's a picture and a type even more importantly of our relationship with Jesus Christ as our husband. And we want to make sure that our relationship with him is everything that it is supposed to be. We don't want to be found lacking in that. We don't want to have things there that, that will keep us from the Lord's coming. But then he goes on, he says, what is left? Well, the seventh vision. What was the seventh vision? He looked out there and he saw nothing but craters and debris. So forth. What he says, so here he says, what is left? Nothing except Hebrews 12, 26. That's the seventh vision. What's Hebrews 12, 26? He says, whose voice then shook the earth. Talking about Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, when, when the, the, the Israelites came there with Moses. Remember the, that cloud came down and the mountain shook and, and so forth. And his voice came down and, and they said, don't speak to us. Speak to you remember that, that moment as they were coming out of the promise, uh, to the promised land. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, so this is the earthly shaking, but also heaven. Once more God will shake the earth, and with it shake everything loose that can be shaken it. And if you, if you take an opportunity to look at what Brother Adam says about Hebrews 12, 26, most of the time, 80, 90% of the time, he's talking about a spiritual shaking. That is going on. That is on a greater scale than that natural physical shaking. So it's going to be both. So, for our text this morning, so I, I wanted this to really impress on us. We are here at the end. The vision is coming to pass. And this, I, I wanted to give a context for our subject. We're not just here to hear a few do's and don'ts and things. That, most of what we're going to have to say is probably nothing that you've not heard before. But I'm praying that it'll come out in a, a, a dimension that you've never seen it before. And I ask for the same thing. So for our text this evening, and if you want to stand just to just give respect to the Word of God, from Luke chapter 17, very familiar message scripture, verses 26 and 27. And as it was in the days of Noah... So shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Let's just ask the Lord to, to bless his word tonight. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful. We feel your presence here. Lord, each one of your children has brought that lick of fire with them. And now as we've gathered together, Brother Adam says, then the pillar of fire is amongst us. And we need that. We covet that. We appreciate that. And we ask, Lord, that you would reveal your word to us. We don't want to just learn things intellectually or carnally. 
we're praying for revelation, Lord, something that would change our life. And so, Father, we come with open hearts, humble hearts before you, ready and willing to take correction and direction however you see fit, Lord. Lord, I ask the same. I pray that you would anoint my lips, that the words that come out would be the words that you would have, that the, that the motive behind it, the spirit behind it would be correct and pleasing to you. I pray that each heart here will be receptive, a good ground that that seed can fall in. So we commit this to you and we do it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. One of the things that we found emphasized here about Noah's day is it was the perverted and immoral state of the marriage relationship. Of all the things that probably could have been mentioned, that was one of the main things, given in marriage and married wives and so forth. And this is a picture of how it's going to be the days of the coming of the Son of Man, our day. Homes and relationships was a focal point of the perverted condition of the world in that day. And I'm going to say it's the same today. If we were to, to look and describe, if we were to describe today to somebody that lived 200 years ago or 100 years ago, I think the condition of, 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 of homes and relationships between men and women, you look at all the homosexuality and the gender garbage and stuff that's going on, it's just, it is so twisted and perverted. Marriage doesn't mean what it used to mean, all these things. This would be a key element of what we would describe today as. It's exactly the way it was in Noah's day. Brother Bram says this in five junctions of time. As it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And then he says, the Bible said they would be marrying, giving in marriage, eating, drinking, the morals and so forth that they'd have, how that they, marrying and giving marriage, the, the Reno Nevadas. Men go out and live with her, marry a woman and take her for his wife, live with her a few days. He don't like her, he kicks her off without the courts. Ungodly people give him a divorce and a license to marry another, but God says that's wrong. He says, our civilization is crumbling. We see that. It's a sign, a post that we're at the end time. So that's the way it was in the days of Noah, and it's the same it is today. In the message handwriting on the wall, he says, you know how he says that America made her final decision in 1956. He says, watch, since then, she's gone, and there's nothing left but judgment and chaos. Just watch it, how it's going to keep faster and faster. We're at the end. We're living in the shadows of his coming. And isn't that the truth? Things just keep seem to happen to you so faster and faster and faster and faster. And we think, oh my goodness, I can't imagine it getting any worse. And a year goes by, I think, oh my goodness, what I thought was so horrible a year ago, it just it doesn't seem like anything compared to what's going on. It just keeps multiplying and getting more perverted, and it happens so fast and fast and faster and faster. That's what he said. Brother Ram speaks to us and, and told us the devil's tactics and what he would do in, in this age, message third Exodus. He says, the new king, the new Pharaoh that raised up didn't know Joseph. What was his first scheme to destroy the power of Israel was with their children. Is that right? He tried to destroy their children. Now listen close. The same devil in different form of a kingship tried to destroy God's only son. So remember in, in the days of Moses, every man-child of the Hebrew children was to be put to death. In the days of Jesus' birth, 
all of the children in Bethlehem were put to death. It's a parallel. And that's one of the wonderful things about God's Word is it has multiple compound fulfillments. You can see it over and over and over. So he says, see, getting rid of the children first before they get a start. The devil is a real smart shrewd bird. He knows how to hit the thing before it gets started. He knows it, see? And the only thing that you can ever do to beat him is to rely on Christ and humble yourself and let him lead you. You'll never do it any other way. Your intellectual powers will never do it. You've got to believe it and just rely on him. He is the shepherd. It ain't the sheep's business to keep the, the wolf away. It's the shepherd's business. But the sheep must stay with the shepherd in order to stay safe. He says, and Christ is the word. That's the safety zone. And so I just try to emphasize over and over and over, we've got to stay with the word. And there's lots of religious people, good people even, that, that will try to say, well, it doesn't really mean this. Well, it means that. It's just, no, we need to stay behind the protection of God's word. And I would say now more than ever. And yet there's undercurrents that would try to pull us away from that. And so one of my constant goals as a pastor is trying to remind the people and keep before them, we got to stay with the word. Stay what's on those tapes. Don't, don't meander off into something else. Just stay with that. And that's the only way. It's, it's, it's not my business to keep the wolf away. It's the shepherd's business. But I've got to stay with the shepherd and he's the word. If we'll stay behind the, see if Adam and Eve, if, if Eve had stayed behind the protection of God's word, she would have never fallen. But she got out from behind that. Look what it brought about. So it's the same thing. He, said, he goes on, he says, talk about how he killed the children the other two times. He, said, he killed the children the first two times with natural death. With the time of Pharaoh, the time of Jesus' birth. And this last time, he's getting the children and killing them with spiritual death. Marrying intermarrying. See, Brother Ram told us, he says, don't never marry an unbeliever under any conditions. And we're going to see as we go along this weekend, Lord willing, as to why that's so important. Because you get into that kind of an unequally yoked marriage, there's nothing but trouble. I'm not saying that the grace of God can't come down and supernaturally help and change things, but that is not God's provided or planned way. And so as, as we look at this, this whole thing of this worldly idea of marriage and morals is part of the devil's way of getting at our children. And we as parents, we have a responsibility to lead them, to teach them, and to provide an example before them. Too often, they will see our marriage relationship, and it's not what it ought to be, and then whatever we say to them, it's a stumbling block because we're not living maybe what we're saying. And so that's where it comes, it comes home to roost with us. We need to make sure that we are staying, standing on that word of God. In Identified with Christ, Brother Ram says, talks about, he says, we find at homes. He says, which is the backbone of the nation. And of the church. I like that. See, the church is not here to take the place of parents. Or to take the place of a home. We are here to, to encourage and to nurture and to help. But the home is the backbone. 
Homes that are properly in order and in their God-given place following the leadership. And then, Brother Bam, I don't have the quote with me. I read it this, this, this afternoon in my uh, uh, hotel room there. But he says, he says you, you, you get born again, you come to church. He says, you bring your family with you to church. So church is a part of what God has given to, to help the family be what it needs to be. But the family is the backbone. So you look at what's happening in the nation, the, the backbone of the family has been broken. Remember how Brother Branham, this just comes to mind now, how Brother Branham was so uh, complimentary about the black people. How that they were so spiritual and the different things. He says that they've got things that, that white people just never could, 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 could come close to. And, I mean, they were some fine Christian communities. But you know what's happened today? That's a minority amongst the black people because the families have been destroyed. You've got all these unwed mothers and different things, and it's just, it's, it's sad to see. And, and, and it's, it's, it has hurt that community. They've gotten away from God's provision, and the, the family has been destroyed in, in a large degree. Look at the consequences. And the same thing's true with, with the whole country. But to me, it was so, such a stark uh, picture that I could see there because I remember. And there's, I mean, it's like anything else. There's still some wonderful, awesome Christians amongst every group of people. But that, in a general way, the vast majority of them took a great downturn because their homes have been devastated. The family is not there anymore. That's the backbone of the nation. It's no wonder the things are taking place that are. The families are gone down there. We don't have godly mothers and fathers together in harmony and taking their, their, teaching their children and the things of God and taking them to church and those kind of things. There was no place for the country to go but down that road to destruction, chaos. Brother Ram says this, and then Jesus came. He says, it's the darkest hour that the family's ever seen. He says, look at the families broke up. Well, I think that's more true today than it was when he spoke that in 1957. 61, he says, home life has become a situation that ought to be dealt with. And so that's part of the desire that I have is that we can, that we can recognize what's going on, what God intended the family to be, and then to see where Satan has come in and is undercutting and undermining that and perverting and twisting it. That we can shake our head and, and refocus on what does the word say and they say lord i want to do just what you say in your word and i need your holy spirit to quicken that to me and help me to do it i can't do it on my own i'm not here to learn more about the the details the facts the data I, i'm asking for a revelation lord and then i had the quote that i was going to kind of end this little um introduction with a quote that Brother Ed read. What house will you build me? Keep the message honorable. Live the right kind of life. Don't let no smut come upon it. And you know what? I think too many times, the way that our houses are, the husband in whatever condition he's in, the wife in the condition that she's in, I'm afraid it, it, it brings reproach on the message many times. It shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. He says, don't let no smut come upon it. And then 
our children see it and the others in the church see it and it becomes a stumbling block and the whole thing just, just starts to, 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 to fall apart then. We need to come back to the word. We need that revival fire to strike our heart and come back to that anchor. There is nothing that will take the place of or work better than God's provided way according to his word. He says, we're living too late now. We're too late in the hour. Let's live it clean on my life, your life. All of our lives needs to be picked up before God. And that's my desire. Lord, even though I'm the one that's bringing your word here, speak to my heart. I need to pick up my life before you. I can be a better husband. I can be a better father. I can be a better pastor. I can be a better brother. I can be a better child of, of the Lord, a better member of the bride. On every aspect, I believe it needs to be, and it can be, and he's made a way that he can help us, that it can be picked up. Now, if you want to turn in your Bibles or put up on the screen there, we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5. And this is something that, that really came just in the last few weeks in conjunction to this topic. Um, it's, a, it's another topic that we are right now going through the adoption series in our church. And how many has ever heard the quote, Brother Bram says, when the bride knows who she is, then she'll be gone. Okay, that's a, that's a commonly quoted quote. We're all familiar with it. Okay, so knowing who we are is crucial as a believer, as a member of the body of Christ. So here we see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this whole thing, the, the parallel between an earthly, fleshly relationship between a man and a woman is a picture, a type of the relationship between Christ and his church. He's the bridegroom. The church is the bride. So it's important. I, I believe, as I said before, that that the better I can understand my relationship. I remember the first time that I, that I became a father, the first child. And I, I remember that I was, I was expecting to have this wonderful moment. And holding this little bundle of flesh that couldn't understand a word that I was saying, couldn't communicate at all, had no personality. I mean, it was just... It was just just wiggled and cried. But there was such a love in my heart for that little child. At that time, I realized I would give my life for this girl. And it was so powerful in me, I wasn't prepared for it. And I remember at the same time thinking, Lord, how could I ever doubt your love for me as my father? I'm seeing this on the, and I believe that that is probably a, a big part of the reason why God allows us to experience to be a father and a mother in the natural, because it will enhance and increase our awareness and our revelation, our privilege, uh, appreciation for our relationship with Him as our Heavenly Father. Amen. 
In the same way, as we are able to be a husband and a wife and we can, we can work with one another, see one another in our relationship and so forth, that will enhance and help us to have a better and a correct relationship with our heavenly husband, our bridegroom. And so I believe he has put us in these earthly relationships probably more than anything to help it to enhance and bring us to where he wants us to be with him on the spiritual level. Certainly that's a big part of it, I believe. So then I, all of a sudden I realized as we were going through this and I was trying to tell the people, you know, look, we need to know who we are. Every one of us, we are born here. We have a purpose that God put us for, here for and that nobody can take your place. You might not be called to ever preach a sermon or teach a Sunday school class or even sing a special, but you're here for something that nobody else can do. And it's not just to fill a place on the pew. And, 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 and yet, that's an important part to do. And when you are here, then we need to do our part. Let's, let's bring the presence of the Lord down. Let's do our part to, to create that atmosphere. Every one of us has that role. Well, as I was talking and, and, and encouraging the people, I said, you know, that we need to recognize who we are. If we are ever going to see the church function the way God intends it to, a body of Christ with each one in their proper positions, not just the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, but there's nine spiritual gifts that are just in the body. Once you come and are sealed by the Holy Ghost, now you're in the body subject to those gifts. If we just keep our relationship with Christ open, there's the channel is open, and we stay in fellowship with him, he can work through us as he chooses. That's the way it's supposed to work. But we have to recognize our position. If, if we come to church, and I, I was talking with Brother Ed, and I, I can't get into this too much, it'll take too long. But I think today there's a lot of people amongst the message that a lot of them think that, well, the perfect word has come, so the gifts are done away with. They're over. They're finished. They're, they're no longer. And then there's another probably larger group of people that are kind of intimidated and, and uncomfortable with it, saying, well, I, I don't know what they'll think about it if I, if I say I believe in them, and I don't want to, and then they're friends and this, that, and the other. Or they look and see what the Pentecostals did with them, how they got off into to all kinds of fanaticism and making the tongues uh, to be the evidence. I mean, they, they got way off into the ditch with it. And so we're afraid of them. And so it just, just, let's just, we, uh, I don't say that they, they don't exist, but, but i just more comfortable with just, let's, let's talk about something else. Well, they're never going to work through us if we don't know who we are. I am a son of God. I'm in the body of Christ. And I'm, I'm not going to get into it tonight, but probably tomorrow night we'll have the opportunity to where we're, to see God working in a member of the body of Christ, it's still what he wants to do. That's still what he will do if we will make ourselves available to him. Brother Bram says the church will never live no higher than their pastor teaches. So I told people, says, I'm going to teach what I see the word saying. I'm not trying to pump something up or make something happen. No, I want it to be God-given, supernatural, genuine, but I'm going to at least do my best to teach what the Word says, and let's get the spooks out. Let's, let's get, that's where we're not afraid of what God has for us. But the bottom line was, we need to see who we are. And I'm going to get ahead of things here a little bit, but 
It's Brother Ed's fault because we were talking about this this morning, and so now I'm kind of on that channel. Brother Bram's talking about gifts. He says, work first with love. Love brings fellowship, and fellowship brings gifts. And Brother Ray, you're, I'm sorry, but, but you're a friend, and, and we go way back, so I'm going to choose you to be my, my uh, example. So there's a relationship that we have of love. There's something about my brother, I appreciate him. And as that deepens, then we have fellowship. Amen. And it's, it's a real fellowship. And then all of a sudden, I find out he's going through something. Maybe he's hit with some sickness. Now that love that's in me is going to drive me in desperation. Oh, God, have mercy on my brother. And he says, go lay your hands on him. See, now that love that brought fellowship, now that's going to bring the gift because the relationship between me and God is what it should be. That's going to, grace is love in action. When love projects, grace takes its place. When we have that love between us and we have that proper relationship, proper fellowship, that's when we will see there's a need. That love is going to drive us to the place where God's going to say, go do this. Bring him this quote. Whatever the need is, not just healing, but different things. But we've got to see who we are if the church is ever going to take its place according to what God intends it to be. Are you with me on that? And it's no different in a marriage. We've got to see who we are. Not just head knowledge. I'm the husband. Yep, I know that. I'm the boss. You missed it. You don't really see who you are. It might be true on the surface, but there's so much more behind it. We're going to get into that tomorrow. See, we got to really see who we are. Same thing with the wife. Well, I'm the wife. I have to do what my husband says. Well, that's true, but, but it's not something to be despondent about. See, we don't see who we are. And that's one of my main desires this weekend is we can start to see who we are, both in a marriage, in our roles in a marriage, but then also take in and, and impose that or superimpose that on our relationship as the body of Christ because they are one the same pattern picture. So knowing who we are, we're, we're just going through that with, again with our church that's been on my heart, and all of a sudden I realize, well, this is key to this subject. Let me just read a few things here from Ephesians Parallels Joshua. That's the first in the adoption series. He says, we just feel that maybe at this point and at this time it might be good to kind of bring the church to what I think to a complete understanding positionally of what we are in Christ Jesus. I think that preaching is a wonderful thing, but I believe sometimes, Brother Beeler, that teaching goes beyond that and kind of especially to the church. And there is a difference. And what I'm doing is, is teaching. Preaching is different. And there's a place for both. And the church needs both. I can remember uh, going to my grandmother's church. It was a Mennonite Brethren church. Every service was a salvation message. Every service, every service, every service. Well, that's important and it needs to be in the church. 
But there was nothing there to, to feed someone that gave their heart to the Lord and wanted to move on in Christ. And then I been in churches, grew up in churches where everything was focused on the deep, dark things of, of teaching, and they never really focused or had the time of really preaching a salvation message to the young people. Yeah. you got to have both in the church. There's some that need this, there's some that need this, and we're all together. And in every topic, there will be something that God will bring to each person. We can, we can all get something from it. But he says... He wanted for the church to complete understanding position of what we are in, in Christ. And he says how the teaching goes beyond preaching to a church. He says preaching usually catches the sinner, brings him under condemnation by the word. But teaching places a man positionally what he is. And we can, now listen to this. And, and that's partly what my motive is here. Is I'm praying that the teaching as it goes forth will positionally place us where we are. Both in our relationships in in, in a marriage type of a relationship, but also in the church. But he says, and we can never rightly be able to have faith until positionally we know what we are. That's pretty strong. Faith is fairly important, isn't it? Uh, we're going to need rapturing faith. And then all of a sudden that quote that and when the bride knows who she are and who she is, then she'll be gone. Because we can't even have faith until we know who we are. And so my, my, my heart's desire is through this teaching that we're in that, that we will recognize more. And it'll keep unfolding. It's not just all going to come at once. But, but trusting that the Lord will put it in our heart that we'll keep digging and searching and, and asking God to unfold and reveal himself more and more. That's the relationship that he wants with you. I can't give a revelation to a single person. Not even my kids or my wife. I can teach and I must. But revelation only comes from Christ by his Holy Spirit. Listen to this one. This comes from the, the final one of adoption. Adoption or placing. It's the order of the day to let the people positionally find their place and be ready for the hour of battle. And I want to sound that warning cry. We already read those quotes about the sixth vision and how great persecution is going to rise up. We already see how Satan is coming in and, and, and working against our families and our homes and, and things in that manner. We need to find our position and let's get ready for battle because it's upon us. And the battle is going to strike your home. You need to find your position in your home. Your God-given scriptural position where God can work through you because if we are in our position, it's God that works through us. If we're off somewhere doing our own thing or we, we take away or add to what God has said about it, then his power, it's short-circuited. It'll never work through us. Here's the one that, that we've referred to. It comes from Christ as a mystery, 63. He says, the new birth is Christ, is a revelation. God has revealed to you this great revelation, and that's the new birth. Now, what are you going to do when you get all that group together? Where the revelation is perfectly in harmony, and God expressing it through his word by the same actions, the same things that he did, making the word manifest. Remember, it's manifested sons of God, that if we have the spirit of Christ in us, we will manifest what Christ does. He says, oh, if the church only knew its position, 
It will one day. Praise the Lord. It will. Reminds me of that unconditional covenant that Abraham, God says, as for me, I have. It's not maybe or will on this condition. No, it's, it's God has already made that commitment. I will, I have. And here he says, it will one day. So I know that there is going to be a church rise up that will know its position. I just say, Lord, I want to be a part of that church. And I believe if we've got that desire in our heart, we can be. Because that desire is not there because we wanted it to be there. It's the Holy Spirit pulling on us, wooing us to what he has called us for. So he says, oh, if the church only knew its position, it will one day. Then the rapture will go when it knows what it is. So we see how important knowing who we are is in the body of Christ. But I really want to emphasize and make this kind of our first foundational point on this subject. We're going to build from these things tomorrow in the, the services. I think it's important for us in our families, in our marriages. We need to know by revelation what our position is. Not take some intellectual understanding that, that misses the mark. Like I say, well, the husband's the head. Yep, I'm the boss. Wife's got to listen to what I say. I hear somebody say that. I say, no, you don't know who you are. Now, you are the head, but not the way you're saying it. So we've got to know who we are by revelation, and the revelation will always be according to the word. If we've got a revelation and it doesn't line up with the word, it's not a true revelation. Okay. So I'm going to go back and just go through some of the, the basics, the origins, and the purpose of marriage. And I know these things, uh, at least on the surface, are not going to be something new. But there's so much that the message unfolds that, that I, 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 I get stimulated every time I go through these things. And I, I realize, oh yes, they're just, it just kind of is quickened again to me. And I pray it'll do the same thing for you. But we know that man was created for what reason? God desired fellowship. Now, he had to have worship. He created angels, so he had worship if that's, if that's all that he wanted. Of course, we are also created for worship, but, but fellowship was the real key. They created man. Brother Ram says in Genesis, we find out that God created man for his fellowship. I like this one for, from Reconciliation Through Fellowship. He says, God longs for fellowship. He yearns. He wants people to speak with him, to talk with him. Amen, but, but not right now, Lord. I'm very busy. I got this. In. And we so easily put that aside, don't we? And think that the creator of this universe that we can't even grasp, the enormity, the complexity of this universe, he longs and yearns for your fellowship. If, if nothing else would come from this weekend, but that would be quickened to our heart, our lives would be changed. Because we would then be in that kind of fellowship and God would absolutely change our lives. And we would grow in him and he'd reveal himself and so forth. But he goes on, he says, there's one thing. He says, you might, you might sing too much or you might preach too much. I don't think that's too much chance of that, is it, Brother Ed? Yeah, I don't think that's... I think he just said that, but yeah, you can preach too much, and I've been guilty, but there's one thing you'll never be able to do, overdo, that's pray. 
We know that, but I hope that that's taken on a little more of a dimension. He says, you'll never be able to have too much fellowship with God. God longs for his creature who created in his image to fellowship with him. And in the message conferences, he puts this into a picture that really touches my heart. He's talking about that when an emergency comes up, then you call a conference. So he says that was the first emergency when word came up to heaven that God's son and his daughter, his children that he put into Eden, had lost their place in grace and had gone away from God and was backslidden and naked. Heaven couldn't hold him any longer. Heaven couldn't hold God any longer. He came down to the earth, walking back and forth through the garden, crying, Adam, Adam, where art thou? What a striking description. He longs for our fellowship. And when his son and daughter, that fellowship was broken, there was something in him that was like, well, 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 well the angels maybe said something, well, well, well God, the, the, it's not evening time yet. To, you know, why would you go? No, I, I, I've got to go. They, I, I long for their fellowship. There's, there's an emergency. To me, that really expresses how much he desires and longs for our fellowship. And what's our attitude towards it? Too easily we take it for granted or we kind of put it into a third or fourth or fifth place or tenth place or we just squeeze it in if and when we can and, oh God, forgive me. All right, so that's the basis of, of marriage was for, for fellowship, or creation was for fellowship. And so when man was created, he was first created as a spirit man. We know that, as, as the image of God. Genesis 1 says, and in Genesis 1, 27 to 28, there's two, two aspects there that we want to, to just focus on for a moment. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And you read that saying, what do you mean him and them? And it just, it means, an English teacher would say, you know, you know, put red marks, that, that doesn't work. That's grammatically incorrect. No, you got revelations exactly right. God created mankind in his own image. You and I are included in that verse. We were created then. We were in God's thoughts. We were, that was when we, when, when we, the sons of God shouted for joy and so forth. God created mankind, a spirit being. In the image of God created he mankind. Male and female created he them. It fits perfectly. Brother Brown talks about that. So the first thing that we need to see is that man was created in God's own image. God's a spirit, and so man was also created as a spirit. We know that. The second thing in, in, chapter, in verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and so forth. So, he created man in his image, and then he gave them, mankind, a commission. Now remember, this commission was given while he was yet a spirit being. To be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish the earth, and that's the sermon in itself. Brother Ram says this in the spoken word's original seed. 
When God gave a commission, gives a commission which cannot perish, God's word is eternal, it cannot fail. When he said multiply and replenish the earth, that was God's eternal purpose. Oh, if it was eternal, then it's still in effect today, isn't it? And, and, and probably tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, eternal. There's no beginning, no end. That's, that's just part of what God is. That was God's eternal purpose. To carry it out, you cannot die. So if what Eve did to be fruitful and to replenish the earth, if that was fulfilling God's word, death wouldn't have come. So it was not accurately or correctly fulfilling God's commission. God's commission, it, it, Satan made her think that this was, well, look, you were made this way and this way and then so on and so forth. And, this and, and what Satan told her was right. She did bring forth children but not in the manner that God intended it to be. To carry it out, you cannot die because it's his word. You have to live. And that child would have been brought forth right. There'd have been no death, but she couldn't wait. So now I'm not going to take time this weekend to go into detail, but you know what? That same commission is with the church. Christ and his bride. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Brother Bram talks about how that the bodies of every one of his elect were laid, the, the physical elements were laying in the dust of this earth, waiting for a spoken word to bring them forth. And then that spirit being that was created back there in verse 27, God created mankind, that part of God that, that you and I are, would then be placed into that spoken word body from the dust. But sin came in there, and now that body of dust comes through a sexual relationship. And that child grows as we eat of the dust of the earth. Our body grows. It's the elements of the earth. It's the same elements, Brother Ram said, that, that laid there in the dust. But now that body has to be born again because it's cursed. Part of the earth cursed. And so that spirit of God can't go and dwell in that until that curse is lifted. So that's why we have to be born again. We have to repent and we have to be sanctified, justified, sanctified. And then the spirit can go and dwell in that part of the earth. And this is another sermon I wish we had time for, but Brother Bam said that when Jesus was there baptized, he says, Jesus, that was a part of the earth, the dust of the earth. It was formed supernaturally by a created blood cell, but then that blood cell started to split and grow and took the elements of the earth in the womb of his mother Mary and grew into a body from the dust of the earth. And as he was born, then he ate of the dust of the earth. His body grew as a child, a teenager, and so forth. So the body that he lived in, that flesh body, was a flesh body of this earth. And so when he was baptized, Brother Branham says, he says, that was the first part of the earth to be redeemed. And God came on, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And he came and his spirit came and dwelled on that. He says, this, and there's, oh, Brother Branham gets into it beautifully. He says, this is the first part of the earth that I've redeemed. And from this part, I'll redeem the rest of it. And that's what happens. When we are born again and we receive the Holy Spirit, we are another part of this earth now that has been redeemed. And so our body hasn't changed, but if it goes to the dust of the earth, it will resurrect because we have been redeemed. That's what's going on, this relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the commission was given to Christ and his church. To go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Reaching out, bringing in those. There was all these other 
The perfect word, the perfect church was there in Paul's day. Why didn't God just take his bride home? Because we were all laying in the dust of the earth waiting for our day to come forth. And that had to be, Brother Ram said, God couldn't do that if he just dwelled in one flesh being Jesus Christ. How could he travel in that one human flesh body to every nation of the earth through all the ages and talk to the hundreds of thousands of... No, so what he did is he divided his spirit and it comes on his children and we're scattered across the world. We have our purpose. There's our position in the body of Christ. We can see our position as a, as a wife and a, and a husband in a marriage relationship. We are to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Aha, uh -huh. a body of Christ. We are to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the, the earth. Reaching out for the elect. When the last one comes in, he says, then the Lord will return. That's a whole other sermon. But I wanted to at least give you an idea. That's, I mean, these, these subjects tie so closely together, paralleled. But we can't get into the, the detail that we'd love to. So we see that man was created in the image of God as a spirit being. And in that condition, he was given a commission. Remember, this is a picture, the natural and the spiritual. But then, man was put into flesh. Because there was not a man to till the ground. And so then, Genesis 2 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So the real man is the spirit that was placed into this body of flesh. But at this point, this body of flesh was without sin. It was immortal. But it was still only the dwelling place, the tabernacle of the real man. Because that's the spirit man. And then from that flesh man, God took a rib and he formed another being. But again, it was not a separate creation, but it was a a creation from Adam. Flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone, spirit of his spirit. And created another being. Why? Because God saw that man was lonely and man needed fellowship. So he made a body for the feminine part of him to be put into and that they could have fellowship. Again, a picture of Christ and his bride. The same thing that, that God desired fellowship, he created man. And now man's in his image. Well, he needs fellowship too, so he created woman from man. And the church, of course, we know that. There at Calvary, that spear went into his side, water, blood, and spirit. That's where the bride of Christ was formed, from Christ. We are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. So in Genesis 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make an help meet for him. And that is misunderstood by many people. We read it, I will make him a helpmate for him. But that word meet there means acceptable, appropriate. I will make a help appropriate for what he needs. Now, our English word of helpmate comes from this. But the real meaning of it and the actual literal meaning of this is, I will make a help that is meet, acceptable, appropriate. What Adam lacked, what he needed, the help that God gave him was exactly what he needed to meet those needs. That's what a marriage relationship... And I find it very interesting. 
God created man. Now he forms the, the, the separate body, a separate person or a separate being. And you have woman. And what's the first thing he does? He joins them in marriage. Because that's where fellowship is to take place. Now, I want to say this now before we get too far into it. I don't want people to get discouraged. There are some people that perhaps marriage is not something God has from. Paul never married. So I don't want to make it seem, oh, you, you, you must be married or you're out of the will of God. Or you must be married or you can't. No, but it is a, a major crucial part of God's provision for mankind. And most people will be married. But there are some that that is not God's, and that's fine. If that's God's will for you, I'll say one thing. You don't want to, you don't want to marry somebody just to not be single. You want to find the one that God has, has, has ordained for you. Otherwise, you're, just, you're going to have uh, troubles. But I do want to, and there's a chapter in this book, if you get to it, talking about how that, yes, there are, and Paul says, I wish you were all like I was, single. But, and then he goes into the things of marriage. Okay? So we're talking about those that are married and the picture that it has for us in Christ. But I, I want to put that out there because I've had some that, that when I was focused on this other, some of they were so discouraged. Well, I'm not married and I don't think I'll ever get married. I've been so long and it's in this and in this condition and on and on. And just, no, no. God's still got a purpose and a plan and a provision for you. Amen. It is also written. Okay? But we're focusing on this part and I want you to, to recognize that we're not unaware of this other. So... God had to create woman from man so that he could have someone to fellowship with, that he wouldn't be lonely, alone. But also, remember that commission to be fruitful, to multiply? They had to be in flesh, and you had to have the two beings for that commission to be fulfilled. And the same thing on the natural and the spiritual to be fruitful and multiply, to go into all the world, we had to have Christ and his bride for that to be able to be fulfilled, to be, to be accomplished. So once again, we can see them on, on both levels of, of, of our pictures. Now, this next point is, to me, one of the key points. And yet, in a sense, it's so simple. I marvel as how it can be so profound because that's the way I find it. And I, I trust that God will quicken it to you that way. It seems so obvious, and yet, without God's revelation, I, I guess it just isn't. But when God made those two beings, took Eve now from Adam's side and made that separate being, they weren't made into two separate individuals to now pursue their own lives and their own goals and their own dreams and just, okay, now here you are. The two of you have fun, you know, and, and, and you know, keep in contact with each other. That wasn't the kind of relationship that he intended for them, was it? They were placed in a relationship. He says, they, to cleave one to another, they shall be one flesh. We're going to get more into to, to that whole thing. But to fellowship with each other and with God. And here's the part that, that I think that we have missed so easily. We put up a sign in our home that says, the Lord Jesus is the unseen guest in our home. 
Well, it's nice, and I'm not against that. But it goes so much deeper than that. In the message, Oneness, he says, the oneness in fellowship was broke between God and his children. The minute she disbelieved one little paragraph, one little word of God. Everybody get that? Says, say amen. He says, not only that, but the oneness between husband and wife was broken. I don't believe there's any marriage can be what it ought to be without a union between husband and wife and God. It's a three-way relationship. We think two-way, husband and wife joined together. No, no, no. It's a three-way relationship. God is not a guest in your home, an unseen guest. He is an in integral, key part of the relationship. That seems so obvious, but yet we don't really think of it that way usually, do we? We have our relationship and we invite Christ to come along when it's convenient for us. Sometimes more so than others, the revival comes through and everything's good and then we kind of get busy with the two things that we do or we do as individuals and then, oh yeah, and then, you know, no, no. Marriage is a relationship between a husband and wife and God. And we're not just, it wasn't just so that Adam and Eve could fellowship, but then, then together they could also fellowship with God. And if you know anything about electricity, you have a circuit here. If I break this leg, the relationship between man and God, you're not going to have any circuit that's going to include the relationship between husband and wife. It's broken. If man gets out of fellowship with God, he's not going to have correct fellowship with his wife any longer. Or if the wife is out of fellowship with God, that relationship between her husband and is not going to be what God intended it to be. And you get a husband and wife that is no longer in proper fellowship. Their relationship with God is not going to be what it should be. Because that union, that three-way union has been broken. That to me is a fundamental truth that we need. If we can recognize that, that's, that's part of recognizing who we are. To me, that, that, every time I think about it, it just it does something for me inside. So in the message fellowship, he says, when God made man in the beginning to fellowship with him, then this man was in perfect fellowship in the Garden of Eden. He was in perfect fellowship with God. And how it must have been on that day when God would come down in the cool of the evening and call at him. He and Eve would come up and they would worship God and they would fellowship and commune one with the other. There's nothing like that I've ever found on earth is to come together in heavenly places and have communion, fellowship with God and with each other. Now, that's what God intended in the Garden of Eden. It was fellowship with God and Adam and Eve. It was a three-way relationship, fellowship all the way through. We'll get into that in more detail when we start looking at the role of the man and the role of the woman, the husband, and the wife, and so forth tomorrow. But it comes back to some of these basic foundations that we're trying to establish today. There is a three-way covenant relationship and if we can recognize that and realize who I am, I am a part. So now, the way I treat my wife, uh, and there's, there's someone else in this union. Um, and what I do here is going to affect that. Recognizing who I am makes a difference then, doesn't it? And the same thing for the wife. The way I treat my husband, that's the way you're treating him. See, if we could be aware and conscious, we're not God conscious. 
Brother Branham tells us that. We need to be God conscious. That'll, that'll change our decisions. Taking that thought a little bit far, farther about broken fellowship. I just want to establish that, that if you break this fellowship between husband and wife, it's more than just their relationship is broken. Their contact relationship with God is also affected. So you remember in Genesis 3, when God comes down there and the Lord God called Adam and says, where art thou? And he says, uh, I heard your voice. I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. He says, who told you you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree that I commanded? And the man said, well, <clears throat> the, the, the woman that you gave me, it was her fault. Oh, what a man. What a husband. It was her fault. It was her fault. Look at her. She was the one. She gave me the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it this I was done? And, and, well, the serpent beguiled me. Brother Bam says they were passing the buck. So in oneness, he says, as soon as their fellowship was broke between God and them, then their fellowship between each other was broke. Adam's love for his wife was not what it should be. Look the way he threw her under the bus, so to speak. He didn't stand up for it at that moment. His love was no longer for her the way that it once had been. He says, her thinking changed. He says, oh yeah, her thinking changed. Her fellowship with her husband wasn't right. They begin to pass the buck. Her thinking was actually changed. And when you start having troubles in a home, their thinking has been changed. And this just comes to me right now. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to have our thinking changed back to what God said. Then we'll have the transformation that only he can do. But it has to do with what we think. Okay? In the message oneness, he says, the, her union between her and her husband was broke. As quickly, as soon as God said, Adam, how'd you do this? Instead of taking up for his wife, he passed it on to his wife. The woman thou givest me. Union broke, see? What did she do? Instead of loving her husband and telling the truth, she lied. She, she should have said, he's innocent. I gave to him. Anyway, he goes on. He says, see, the husband, wife, the union broken. Husband and wife, fellowship was broken between them. The oneness of them was broken. The oneness between them and God was broken. The whole thing was marred. Why? Because one word was disbelieved. Yeah, she should have told the truth. The oneness with her and her husband was gone, and the oneness with them and God was gone. So any one of those three legs gets broken. And you know, and I'm going to jump ahead here just a bit just to kind of make this have a little bit more um, completeness, I guess. As a husband, yes, we are the head of the wife. But she still has her own relationship with God. Now, much of the leadership will come through her husband. But one of the things we need to do is we need to make sure that she has a correct relationship with God. That's part of our responsibility. Because if she's not in proper fellowship with, now, if she's in proper fellowship with the Lord, she will be in proper fellowship and respect and so forth for her husband. Because that's what God's word says. But she's got to have that relationship and that revelation from God, having that or her own personal relationship, or this other will never work. Amen. And the husband, the same thing. It's got to be a, a scriptural, genuine, spiritual relationship between man and God. And part of that's 
we have a responsibility to be the head with our wife and so forth, so we, we also have to lead and be a, a shepherd in that respect. There's no other way that we can have the fellowship between us correctly. You break anyone, you start getting wor- worked up and mad at each other and so forth, and you just whatever, and then you, then, then, then you go and try to fellowship with God and pray. It doesn't work, does it? Something's broken. It's because of that three, and uh, to me, just, I just have to do this, and I, th- I think, oh, that three-way relationship. That's all I got to do is just put my hands together like that, and this whole thing comes flooding back to me. It's so simple, but yet to me, it's so profound. And it's so easy for us to forget it, and, and we're looking at things carnally. So now you can understand, and we won't get into this probably too much, but that's why we must not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You marry an unbeliever, they don't have that connection with God. There is no way you can have a correct union. It just is impossible. The one link is just non-existent. And we're going to see tomorrow a little bit more detailed and and I trust a little bit more um, in depth as to really what what goes on in that respect. But I want you to see the, the principle. Families. We've already talked about that God purposed men and women to bring forth children. He was establishing a family. Brother Ram says the family is God's masterpiece. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Of all the creation, the universe, the solar systems, the galaxies, and the family is God's masterpiece. And we are privileged to be a part of it. We are part of God's masterpiece because we are a picture of his family relationship. Remember, Brother Bram says that God was Elohim, the self-existent one. Nothing else existed, just was God. He says before there was even an atom or darkness, God was. Wrap your head around that one. Not even darkness, I'm just... Uh, uh, okay, I understand that, but I don't get it. But it's the truth. It was Elohim. But it was in him to be so many different things, his attributes. To be God. Because he wasn't even God yet. Because God's an object of worship. But he was. So then he created angels and they worshiped. Now he was God. And as things continued to unfold, the characteristics that were in him, and Now when he created man, he was known by another name, and that's Jehovah. Jehovah means, he says, so he isn't self-existent anymore. He exists with his family. Now he is Jehovah. Jehovah meaning the one who exists with his family. No longer self-existent, he exists with his family. That's in Ephesians Parallels Joshua, the first adoption series. Laodicean church age in the church age book. Herein is now set forth the love of God. He desired in love a family of his own, a family of sons like himself. So this whole thing of a family is, is key and essential to God's purpose, his desire, his, his plans. Well, no wonder the devil's doing all he can to, to tear it apart and undermine it and wreck it. Get us focused on other things or or a wrong focus on it. This is God's masterpiece. And that's why there's so much in his word that speaks to this. 
Because he's given us what we have need of that we can be in that kind of a proper relationship in our homes and in our relationship with him. Um, I'm just going to, says that's God's purpose, this is oneness. And his purpose as God, Father Supreme was to be one with his family, earthly family, Adam and Eve. And the only way that they could be one with the family or with God was because God's nature was in them. So that made them with God's nature in them, then with each other and God, they become all one. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God in his family, Father over all. God with them made them one. Once again, we can see that a, a marriage relationship, without God in it, it is not a true marriage. can't be. Amen. One more in the masterpiece. Notice the great masterpiece of the family. The husband and wife cannot be truly a family unless they're one. They have to be. If they're not, they're not a good family. Wife pulling one way and the husband another, they'll make an awful family. But in agreement with love, one to the other, that's a family. And now that was God's masterpiece. And all the true family here portrays that. And I've already expressed that, that I did not really grasp God as my father until I became a father. And now I... I realize that I don't care if my daughter or my sons, I've got two daughters, two sons, I don't care if they backslide and fall away, they're still mine, and I will unconditionally love them. Nothing can take that love from me. I may disapprove of what they do, I may have to correct them for what they do, but my love is unchanging. And I thought, and Lord, that's just a drop in the bucket compared to your love. But see, the devil comes along and says, well, look what you just did. Ray, remember those things you said last week? And you remember what was in your heart, the motive, why you said them? Oh, that was horrible. You think God loves you? That was just terrible what you did. God can't love you. And you've gone three days and haven't made it right. I mean, he just hits you where, where it hurts. And we get to this place where, you know what, yeah, I kind of, God probably doesn't like, love me like he used to or this or that. And, 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 and just, we get discouraged, we get despondent, we, uh, you've had the privilege of being a father. You just have to look at your earthly relationship. Oh, no, no, no. My heavenly father is, is perfect. I'm not. And look at my love, the strength of my love for my children. Oh, Satan, get behind me. I know that God's love for me will not wane. It will not weaken. It will not change. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. All of his thoughts towards us are good. Everything works for the good to those who are the called that love the Lord. So many of those promises. Okay? So this whole thing of love, that's the foundation of marriage. Now, we all know that. It's commonly known. Even the world knows that. Marriage has got to be married for love. And that's why when you marry somebody and all of a sudden you realize you marry somebody else, you love somebody else, oh, you got to divorce this one and marry that one because marriage is, you know, they get that all twisted and perverted. But no, it is true that marriage is based on love. So Brother Bram says this in Thy House from Tifton, Georgia. He says, when you meet that girl that you love and there's just something, you know you love her and that's just all there is to it or you love him and, and you don't care whether he's handsome or whether he's not handsome, thank the Lord, or whether she's pretty or not pretty, that doesn't matter, but you love them just the same. 
He says, a marriage based outside of that is sure to fall or it'll never be successful. They'll never be happy. Another place, he says, marriage is honorable but should be entered prayerfully and reverently. And genuine love for that woman will bind you together forever. Genuine love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what love is. It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it doesn't seek, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. And then in the New International Version, it's, it says it keeps no records of wrongs. Yeah, that hits the rubber where the road is. The King James says, thinketh no evil. Love thinketh no evil. Uh -huh. in the manner of it doesn't keep records wrong. Yeah, yeah, she did this, she did this, and someday when the time's right, I'm going to bring it up and I'm going to rub her nose in it, or vice versa. No, no, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. What does God's love do? Puts the, the, our sins in the sea of his forgetfulness. He doesn't remember them anymore. There's the perfect example. All right? So this is a background for this next point that I want to make. Now, we have till 10 in the morning, right? Because that's when the next meeting is? Okay. I thought that's what Brother Ed told me. We've got much more than what we can cover tonight, and I know that, so we'll just find a, a stopping spot here. But this is another key part. So, when man was created, he was a spirit man. And so then when he was put in flesh, now we have, the way Brother Ben described it, a three-circle being. Flesh, spirit, soul. Okay? That soul is the place for that mankind being that was created in the image of God. That's where it dwells. The flesh on the outside is what we see here. We've never once seen the real you or me. We just see the tabernacle that we dwell in. And until we're born again, the real us doesn't even dwell in this body. When we're born again, then that part of God that we are comes in and, and, and takes up its dwelling place. The Holy Spirit is, is, is the throne of God there. That spirit that's in between, that's our emotions, our imaginations and affections and things that go on in that realm. Okay? So we are a three-dimension, three-circle being. Just watch this now. In Matthew's Noah and not, he says, I'm going to make one ring like this. I'm going to make another ring on the inside of that ring. That's two. And then I'm going to make a ring on the inside of that. That's three rings. Three circles. Now, that's you. That's God. God and a trinity is one. And without a trinity, he's not God. He can't be manifest in other So it's not three beings, but it's one being with three dimensions, three offices, three dispensations. He says, and neither can you be manifested without being the trinity person that you are. That's body, spirit, soul. Without either one of them, you're not complete. Okay? When we die, the body's gone. But our spirit, our soul, goes someplace. But we could have the, the body and the spirit, the spirit of man, but until we're born again and have that soul, we're not complete, are we? So that's the reality of what we are, okay? In the second coming of the Lord, Brother Ram says, who could find a sweeter thing than to come home tired when God has given man a wife? 
A woman and a man is inseparable. They are one. In the creation, God created them first both together and their one heart, soul, mind, and everything. Now, I want you to think of that. Man was created. Male and female created he them. One being, a spirit being, was both. From that, he took that unified dual being, put him into flesh. Still just one flesh being. And then from that, took a part of that and just split it off and made a separate person a being, and joined him in marriage. And so now they're still joined in body, soul, and spirit in marriage. That's what they were when they were in a spirit man, but they, they, they couldn't do everything because they needed a body. God put them in flesh, but he couldn't fulfill the commission to be fruitful and multiply and so forth. And they couldn't have the fellowship that he needed. So he put them into two, but they're still one. Adam was one. Even when it was two beings, Adam and Eve, it was still Adam. Okay, you're with me on that. All right. Deuteronomy 6, 5. No, let me back up. Go back to that quote I was. They're one heart, soul, mind, and everything. He says, when he made man in the dust of the earth, he separated him from his wife. When he made Eve, he didn't make a woman, pick up some more dirt, but he took from the side of Adam a rib and made his wife. He said, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They were one in heart, soul, and body. Two people, but they were one in body, soul, and spirit. Okay? Deuteronomy 6.5 says, this is the great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That's every part of who we are. There's a lot of people who just love God with one or two or whatever, but to properly love it, we do it with all that we are, every part of the three circles of our being. Matthew 22, when they asked Jesus, which is the great commandment, verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. So that's God's, that is God's desire. He requires all three parts of man. Correct relationship with, now here we're looking at it now in his relationship with us, our bridegroom and his bride. We're to love him with every aspect of who we are. We can't withhold any part of who we are from him. We love him in our heart. We love him in our spirit. We think on him. We meditate on him and so forth. And our body, we want to serve him and be pleasing to him. We surrender it to him and, and let him work through it. Every part of our being, we come to church and we, we sing, we raise our hands. We, that's, that's, our, that's our flesh manifesting what our spirit has, 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 is doing. And that's based on the control tower of the, the spirit that's inside the soul. But we love the Lord God with all that we are. That's God's requirement. What is the great commandment? I want you to love me with all three of your circles. Now that's a picture as we've been seeing over and over, that's a picture of our earthly marriages. So correct love is going to be on all three levels. Okay? For there to be a proper love. A proper, without all three dimensions, it's not a proper love for God. Ephesians 5 says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Why? Because they are one. 
God has joined them together, and they are to cleave one to another, and they're to have that same relationship that Adam and Eve had, where they are one on every level. And I want to just read a scripture. First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So we can't even love unless we know God and are born of God. So what the world describes or, or thinks love is, is not real love. Because they aren't born of God and what their, their version, their idea of love is so far from the reality. But I want to make this point from this, this part that we've been talking about. You have a husband and a wife. They can have love on that outer circle. And it can just be a physical attraction. And the world has got, it could, be as, it could be as base as a lustful relationship. And that's as deep as it goes, that's as far as it goes. And there's a lot out in the world that that's all they've got. I'd say most marriages incorporate the second circle. And that's their human emotions and desires and thoughts. And they have things in common and they get along together, like to talk. And, and that's probably the vast majority of marriages is they have a, they have a, a union and a love on those two outer circles. But they cannot have correct love. Their relationship cannot be correct unless they have both been born again. And they can have that fellowship and that love from the soul, that agapo love. Without that, that is not a correct marriage. Marriage is far more sacred than what we are conscious of most of the time. All of this is in the message, but my goodness, when you start getting indignant, you realize, oh my, I didn't realize all this. It's just there's so much more that it's just like you're just overwhelmed and say, oh God, thank you for, for, for showing that to me, for, for opening my eyes. Help me now to, to let that be a reality in my life. Let me live that. Amen. But I want you to realize that, that and it's, it, this is an important point as we get into the, the role of a husband and a wife tomorrow. Now, Hebrews chapter 3, the message, he says, love would be so far away in the last days, the only love there would be left would be between the elect of God's people. That's on this realm over here. God and his children, that's the only love. And so if we're going to have correct love in our marriage, we've got to have that love, don't we? That agapo love that we have because of our relationship with Christ. That is who we are. That's the love that is, is within us. And then that's a daughter of God or a son of God that we're married to. And so our love, just as we love one another, we love Christ. You, you can't separate the two. But I want you to see, and again, it's talking probably more to young people. That's why we can't be unequally yoked. You will never have a complete relationship. You will never be able to have the real love that God intended marriage to be. If that's missing, you need to find another believer that's got the Holy Ghost. That is the only chance for you to have what God intends marriage to be. That's where we come back to where I started from, that when you say, well, yeah, 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 don't be unequally yoked. Yeah, but man, this girl, she's just something special, and just my heart goes, and just all these things, and just, uh-huh. What is your goal for marriage? Oh, things will go good for a week or two, or a month or two, or a year or two, but all of a sudden, you're going to be in a lot of trouble if you don't have it the way God laid it out. Don't be unequally yoked. 
Make sure, and I've said this before, dating is not a mission field. I see a lot of smiling, nodding heads. You know what I'm talking about. Well, that, yeah, that's fine. Invite him to church, he or she. But you be careful. You don't cross that line where, where you're, you're thinking that by dating them, somehow you're going to win them. No, it just, it needs to be the Lord's got to bring them in. And you can pray for them, you can witness, but you keep that, that clear dividing line. I had a, Not sure how far I could go with this. Um, I had a brother come to me some time ago that had been dating a girl and she wasn't a believer. And he'd been bringing her to church and then he'd been backslidden and then the Lord got a hold of him and he says, Paul, he says, what do I do? He says, I know I shouldn't be dating her, but... It's not her fault. She didn't know any better. What do I do now? I don't want to hurt her. I thought, well, that's good. That's the right motive. You're concerned for her, not yourself. That's a good first step. I said, well, you know what? You're bringing her to church. That's fine. But you know what I would do is I would, I would kind of turn her over to maybe some of the sisters in the church. She seemed to enjoy coming to church and fellowshipping there. I says, but you need to kind of step out of the picture. Not letting your dating her be, you don't want her to come to the Lord so that she can get you. And it's hard to make that distinction. So you need to kind of back away from it. And I think you need to, to come clean with her and say, you know what? I have not been living what I should have been. I've been a hypocrite. The Lord's got a hold of me and, and, and really I, the way I've treated you, I, I shouldn't be. But I want you to come to the Lord as well, and I'm glad you like to come to church, but you've made friends with some of these sisters, so I want you to keep coming to church, and I want you just to, just to, to come and, and fellowship with them and so forth, and, and that's what they did. And after about a year later, she gave her heart to the Lord, and they're married. But boy, it was, it was tricky. You don't want to let that dating be, a, like I say, a mission field. That's not what it's supposed to be. I don't know why I said that, but the Lord put it on my heart. Okay, we're just about done here for tonight. Just trying to cut through a few things. Let me just bring this out. Marriage is supposed to be romantic. <laughs> Brother Ed, what do you teach these people? <laughs> Yes. I didn't hear a single amen. <laughs> Brothers or sisters. Now, I would kind of understand it if there was no amens from the sisters. They're usually the ones that feel like the romance went out of our marriage. Once the dating was done and then we were married, all of a sudden it was like it was different. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I imagine there's a few here that have kind of felt that way. I've had quite a few people in, in, in counseling that that comes out. And I've witnessed it in my own marriage. 
You've, you've won the girl, and the, the, the competition is over. That's kind of a man. We're the hunter, the gatherer. We've got it. And it's like, okay, and on to something different. We kind of, well, yeah, we've got her. She's back home where she needs to be. And we kind of don't have the same priority for her maybe that we did at one time. And all we've been talking about, we've been talking about the deeper things of relationships and what God, this, that, and the other. But God did make it where romance is part of God's provision for marriage. That's not a worldly invention, although the world perverts that and puts it into a place that it doesn't belong. And you don't base your marriage on those romantic feelings. That's the frosting on the cake is the way I like to put it. But that's not the main thing. That's just the frosting. Well, Brother Branham has such a good way. Law having a shadow. Listen to this. He says, Eve was the most beautiful thing that ever set on the earth. That's right. He says, I see her sitting there and her hair hanging down near her back and her eyes was as bright as the stars of heaven. When Adam looked at her, it put such a shock that still lives in mankind. That's quite a statement. Just picture that. Here's Adam, and God has brought Eve to him, the Bible says, and he looks at her. Wow. Brother Brown says, that puts such a shock that still lives in mankind. Well, that's part of God's provision. So we should be able to look at our, our spouse and just, ah, sure, you look nice. I like that. You just you do something for me. That's good. And even when you don't, like Brother Ram, you still love them. <laughs> so we get to the spot, I think, I don't know how, I'm glad she picked me before I got old and fat and, and all the different things, but at any rate. In Time, Testament, Memorials of God, he says, there was talking about men losing their affections for their wife and, and don't love them as they did when they were sweethearts. Shame on you. You ought to do it. She's always your sweetheart. Absolutely. That's the part she should be. And you should treat her like that. Oh, never let that little honeymoon cease. Because it isn't going to in heaven. Well, and there's some hope for all you sisters. <laughs> I don't know what God has in store for us over there, but this is part of God's provision for our relationships. He says he's going to be just perfectly one. It's going to be just perfectly one there. And we should never forget to honor each other. Always be sweethearts. Never let it cease. So I wanted to kind of put that out there. That it, it's, it's much like... Our relationship with God. There's times when you just feel the presence of the Lord come down. And there's such a sweetness. And it's just, it's just like, oh. But it's not always that way. And you still worship him. You still serve him. You still fellowship with him. All these things. But there's times when he just comes down there. And he just, I think it's just he's letting that, that spiritual romantic feelings kind of sweep in us. Because it's, it's, it's such a, an enjoyable thing. And God enjoys it. And so it's not something to feel guilty about. But we just need to put it in its right place. Make sure we got our priorities right. Our foundation right. That it's scriptural. But this is part of God's plan. So I wanted to put that out there before we close tonight. I didn't want this to be so clinical, legalistic. It's God knows what's best. He created us. He knows inside out how we operate. And his thoughts towards us are only good. I've got one more thing. that Can I still squeeze it in? Okay. 
This is my last page. It has to do with love. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28 says, So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Why didn't he say, see that she love her husband? Husbands love your wife, wives love your husband. No, no. He differentiates a little bit here. Husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives reverence your husband as the bride reverences her husband. And I want to just put this out there that, that man and woman are different. When God separated them, the masculine part was in the man. The feminine part was in the woman. And we relate to one another in a different way. Some things are, are very much the same, but there's, there's also differences. How did... How does Satan come and deal with tempting men? A lot of it's primarily through our eyes, what we see. That's why he puts immoral women in front of us and all these different things. We see it and it catches our attention and he can, he can, he can have an effect on us. But you know what? With women, it's mostly with what they hear. Satan beguiled Eve. He sweet-talked her. And that's partly because of the way, a difference between man and woman. There's, there's different, different ways that, 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 that our natures are. And I, I want to just, I'm just going to just bring this out in a, in a general sense. A man needs to be respected, reverenced. I can have my wife tell me 10 times a day that she loves me. And she can make me my favorite cakes and desserts and all those kind of things. But if at the same time I don't feel like she really respects me, there's nothing there then as far as I'm concerned. I need to be respected. I need to be looked up to and admired. I need to be her knight on shining armor. Her hero. Even though I don't deserve it. But that is, that is kind of our masculine desire. That's what we want. And the more she can do that, the more motivated we are that we would die for her. We would do it just because she is reverencing us in a way that, that we need to be. The woman needs to hear. So I can do all kinds of nice things for her, and, 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 but she also needs to hear it. Brother Bram talks about it. He says, if you love her, he says, you'll express it to her. You'll tell her you love her. That's more important for the woman, I think. Now, I'm not saying the men don't need to hear it also. And I'm not saying that the women don't need to be respected. But there's the, the focus is a little different. And here's what I find happens in talking is that the man will think, well, this is what I need to feel the proper love for my wife. So I will give to her what I'm looking for. And it doesn't hit the target with her. 
And she's saying, well, I want to hear him say, I love you. So, honey, I love you. 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 And, just, and it's just, I'm, I'm giving to him what I want, but you're not giving to him what he needs. Love your wife, reverence your husband. Love your wife, and we'll get into this tomorrow, as Christ loved the church. And there's a lot more to that. But I want to just lay that down as a, as a, 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 a principle here that there is a difference because we are masculine and feminine, although in this age, the devil's doing all he can to blur those things and like a seesaw. Women are getting more masculine, men are getting more feminine. And the whole thing's getting twisted and perverted and so forth because he's trying to defile that relationship that God has ordained, both in the natural and more importantly in that spiritual. Two more quotes here if the musicians want to come. In the message, here he am. He says, that's what causes separation in families is the neglect of love. That's what causes the separation in churches, neglect of love. We've got to have love. So let me just focus for just a moment. So love is something that we can either neglect What's the opposite? Or nurture. Love is something we, we, we tend to think because we have such intense, strong, romantic feelings towards this girl and nobody in the world has ever had it like I've got it. And that's kind of our mindset. This is so incredible, so intense that, and we just, it's just, it's always gonna be that way. And we're gonna find out that Everyday life wears on it. Brother Ram says that things come up and you disappoint her and she disappoints you and so forth. And you got to find out we've got that real love there. Just like a father loves his children, no matter if they make mistakes or fall or backslide or whatever, he's, that love is still there. And it's the same thing between God and his wife. He loves us unconditionally, but then he will do what a leader needs to do to try to restore and to try to bring back and, and nurture. But love is easily neglected. And I've used the, 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 the illustration of, of a motor vehicle, a car. <laughs> and I knew of a sister down in the States. She drove her car, and she'd be reading a book while she was driving, and, and one day her engine didn't work, and well, this little red light had been on for a few weeks. It was the oil light. Oh, you mean you have to check the oil? Really? She hadn't been checking her oil. She hadn't gotten any oil changes. She just drove her car. That's called neglect. You got to maintain that car or you're going to burn the engine out. You've got to maintain your relationship. You, you, you must nurture that love, that fellowship, both in a natural marriage and in our spiritual relationship. Otherwise... Neglect of love. Now, what is the word to the Laodicean church? What is the description of the Laodicean church age? Why are they lukewarm? Because of iniquity. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many waxes cold. What's iniquity? When you know to do something and you fail to do it. You neglect it. 
So there's things that we know we should do in a marriage, and we know we should do in our relationship with Christ, but we neglect it. That's iniquity, and our love waxes cold. Our relationship isn't what it should be, and now we are easy pickings for the devil to get us split up, separated, and way off into some kind of a, of a perverted condition in, in both of those examples. So I wanted to leave these thoughts, these principles with us. We're going to build from them tomorrow morning. Lord willing, I'd like to speak on the role of the man. And it's more than just giving a bunch of legalistic do's and don'ts. And then in the evening, I'd like to speak on the role of the woman. But I want it to be that I'm praying that we will recognize who we are and see ourselves in a whole different dimension than we've ever seen. Because that's the only way we're really going to be able to unlock what God really has for us. It's there for us. It's what he wants for us. But we're in a battle. So it's time for us to find our positions and prepare for battle. Because that's the day we're in. Let me read one last quote here. It comes from Corinthians Book of Correction. He says, Make us to examine ourselves, we married people, by the way we treat our wives. How true we are, how true are wives to us. He says, if the wife would just, uh, would just about once every month just come by and put her hand on yours and say, dear, I love you, and walk on, oh, how it would seem she was neglecting me. How it would seem that something was wrong. And God, when maybe once a month or once we go into church, we offer a little prayer, uh, you want our love, our communion all the time, and our thoughts and our intents of our hearts will be stayed on thee. Isn't that it? We neglect love so easily. And there's a reason we do that, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. But I pray that these things will be something that God will quicken to us. Let's just bow for a word of prayer as I turn the service over. Heavenly Father, oh, I pray that I haven't been too long that I've lost the, the people's attention. Lord, there's so much in your word that, that we, we could just talk without ever, without ever ending. It's, it's, it's an eternal word. But I pray that the things that we felt that you led us to speak about tonight would find their place, that your word would not return to you void, but it would have an effect in all of our lives, mine included, Lord, to help us to be more aware of who we are and what your purpose and calling is for us in our relationships, both here in our natural relationships, but with our relationship with you. I just pray that your word has found good bedding ground and will bring forth abundantly of your life. Change us, Lord, to be what you have ordained us to be. We are to be the manifested sons of God, to be adopted. That's, we are predestinated unto the adoption. And that's really what all this is talking about. It's just a picture of that great truth. So, Lord, I just commit this into your hands. I thank you for the wonderful presence of the Lord here tonight. We just commit it all to you. You receive the glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.
Body, soul, spirit. Amen. But we're here to magnify God with it. <clears throat> Take these hands and lift them up. For I have not the strength to praise you near enough. For I have nothing. I
We don't often think that what we're living out is actually a representation of the very heart and being of God. But God desired fellowship. God hungered for a family. The quote that Brother Paul would say, God yearned for it. The, the picture of, of God, heaven couldn't hold him when man fell from their position. I've got to go down. We don't see that in our day-to-day -day living. And yet, Satan's greatest attack, it's relentless. It's coming at our door. It's coming on, on our picture. It's clouding our minds. As Eve just given over to a different thinking. And that's why we need to be washed by the water of the Word. You know, the things we've heard, you're not going to ever hear these in a psychology class. You're, you're, you're not going to catch this picture or this vision without this message. This has come from God. And it, it has come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so you could also occasionally have that shock <laughs> that's been left for us. You know, teaching, Brother Brandon would say it's kind of like walking on thin ice. And it's, it's a little bit treacherous to take somebody, and Brother Paul took two hours and laid some things. Now, you might not go home tonight and think, you know, we, we live in a society that looks for emotional stimulation and looks for all of these things, and, and it looks to captivate, but it doesn't penetrate to the soul. But teaching is what stabilizes us. Preaching catches the sinner, but teaching... You might, this, you might not pick up on this for another week, two weeks, some, and you'll remember, oh yeah. So, so don't look right now for, oh, well. No, you just take this and say, thank you, Lord, for dropping this in and dropping that in and dropping, because somewhere it's going to have an effect. And as, as you know, Brother Paul shared with me just, yeah, you know, the desire, before he jumps into the thoughts and, and some of the kernel of it tomorrow, he said, I'd like to just bring, and I'm glad for the background and, and where this comes from and where God's taking it. I, 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 I just think of Brother Branham, how he would say, oh, for the grace to see these things. And, and he would, you know, I just was thinking of it this morning. I thought, yeah, I'm a three-part being. If I wouldn't know that God has dealt with my soul and I was just having in the flesh to manifest a life, I, I would be the most frustrated person in the world. Because in my flesh, I come short. In my, in my, in my mind, I, there's things I battle with and you think, how can that be a believer? But inside, there is something real that God has deposited. And it doesn't just reflect in my life. It reflects in the wife that God gave me. And it reflects, and it is my vision. You know, Brother Branham, well, he, he would, I think it's the book that Sister Rebecca Smith, Brother Branham's daughter, put out. But they talk about Brother Ungren and his father. And he was having trouble in his marriage. And in his marriage, 
he was having trouble and he said, oh, Brother Branham, she doesn't want me. She wouldn't have me. They had separated or something. And Brother Branham said, oh, yes, she does. And he said, well, how do you know that? I seen you walking with her in the millennium and you were holding hands. Now, I'll tell you what, that is a vision and that is a picture worth living for. And I'd say what starts on earth will carry on. I believe God has given us the best He could give us. If He gave you a God-fearing wife or a God-fearing husband, oh yeah, maybe his socks stink, maybe whatever, does all those other things. But I'll tell you what, you got the greatest thing. Oh, the treasures, the grace, the realms of love that God has for us. It, it, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. And I think I, I, I'd like to live it out further. You know, Brother Harold, I'll, I'll borrow the line that you've used. You know, you've got to nurture, you've got to, you've got to do these things. You know, like the man who was, his wife was saying, you don't ever tell me you love me. He said, we got married 30 years ago. I told you I loved you then. If that ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, that's not really nurturing. <laughs> you know, the, the, the other one Brother Harold would often share is in the old days they had bucket seats. or the, Not the bucket seats, but they had the bench seats in the front. And you know, a couple that used to be together, you know, he'd sit in the driver's seat and she'd be right next to him. You know, and over time, you know, she'd sit closer to the door than to him. And I think the discussion came up and, you know, one time she said, you know, it's just not what it used to be. And he says, well, I'm still seated in the same place. Where are you? <laughs> I, I think God's taken us beyond that, isn't he? I, I, I think we need to appreciate the word of God. And I think we need to say thank you. Lord, for what you're working out in our lives, I, I think there's a far greater picture that God is expressing. And, and, and you know, it even goes to, to those whose homes, they aren't completely together, or maybe they're not equally yoked. I, I think there's overriding redemptive qualities within the relationship, and, and we touched on some of those, that the unbeliever is sanctified by the believer and, and you don't know what God is still working out. Oh, I'll say, we, we ought to be thankful for all that God is doing and, and you know what, take these things tonight and, and say, well, you know, I, I, I just listened to the, all of this. Just, just allow God to bring them back to your remembrance. You don't, you don't have to try and work something out. Remember, at, at, at the initial quote, our brother Paul says, he's the shepherd. He'll, he'll take care of that. You just honor him. Honor the position you've been given. If you're a husband, just live that out. Love unconditionally. If you're, you're, you're the, the wife, just, just honor and, 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 and reverence and just do that as unto the Lord. And I, I believe God, God's going to come I think as, as, as we take this and as we not just hear it, but as we receive it, and maybe it starts with a single step. 
But maybe you take one step tonight that you didn't take yesterday or didn't think you would take. I'll tell you what, you watch God come behind that. Honor His Word, honor Him. Do you appreciate this message? Do you appreciate that God is interested in your home? I think He's interested in every home. I think He's interested in every young person. Every person who's un, not married or, or whatever, you know. I, I, I remember I, I had just come back from a youth camp. And, and, you know, a lot of people go to youth camp. Well, I, I just want to get closer to the Lord. But really, they got their eyes open. You know, I, I just come back from a youth camp. And Brother Harold had asked me to give a little report. And, and then he said, take the service and preach in the service. So I, I started speaking on a comforter. And I, I started sharing the comforter, and I said, and I took what Brother Ram said, you know, there's nothing like a God-given friend. Somebody you can talk to. He said, that was God expressing himself as a comforter. I, I, and then I started talking about, there's nothing like a wife. When you come home at night, and she, she puts the slippers on you, and she, she does, and, and everybody at the church was just about quiet. And... and and I, I was single at the time. I said, so how, it was almost like, you're asking me how I know that. I just asked the congregation flat out. I said, I don't. Pray for me. <laughs> within two, what, two months, I'd started courting my wife. Within five months, I was married. So your prayers worked. <laughs> it's a good thing Brother Max isn't here to hear this tonight. Because I think he's getting a complex too. But anyway, I, I just say, hey. God knows. Oh, isn't it good to be here? To be washed by the water of the word? Why don't, why don't we, we sing that? Do you know what it is Not to have one guilty feeling Not to know where you're going when you die